You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Good morning, everybody, and happy Father's Day to all the dads here today. I'm so glad that you are with us today in church, amen? So a couple things for the dads. As you leave today, you'll see that there was a table in the middle of the lobby. If you will stop there, this is for dads of any age. And then if you are not a dad, but you're 25 or years of age or older, and a male, you can grab one of those cards as well. It is a uh, gift card to uh, uh, Whitehorse Car Wash to get your car taken care of. All right? Well, wait, there's more. As you pulled in, you saw a variety of uh, vehicles out there and a couple pieces, or, uh, some farm tractors. And uh, we want you to go out there and take some photos and enjoy that, get with your family. And we know that for, for some kids, man, this is their first time to even be around a tractor, much less get a chance to sit on it. So take the time to hang out and get some great photos with the, with the classic cars and those farm tractors. But wait, there's more. We uh, set it up, and uh, they graciously offered, moved through, brought their, tra- or their trailer to us, and we wanted to give each dad some ice cream, and they said, no, we're not going to let the family watch him eat. So everybody gets a scoop of ice cream today. Can I tell you, please tell them thank you. Right? So, any, wait, there's more. <laughs> Pastor Greg's going to preach today. <laughs> anyway, so today we're going to do a, a message called The Challenge of Fatherhood. Even without some of the cultural shifts and dynamics that are happening, this is, fatherhood's already a challenge. Then you complicate it now with a lot of uncertainty and the shifting that is happening in our culture. It's making it more and more of a challenge. And so we're going to look at this today. And so we're just going to go all the way back to the very beginning when God spoke and what did he have to say about who we are as men. So would everybody stand for the reading of the word? We're just going to read Genesis chapter 1 and we're going to be reading verses 26 through 28. Let's read together. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, sky, and the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now Jesus, I pray as the word is taught that the Holy Spirit 
will touch our hearts and minds. And we pray that it does more than fill our heads with, with academic information. We ask that God it influences our understanding and our practice and our values. Bless these men today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Be seated. So I'm going to, what I hope to accomplish through this message today as the dads is this. I want to encourage you. I want to help you. This is not a message where the pastor just lets it fly and bangs on every guy and makes them feel more horrible about life than when they came. No, no. My, my whole goal today is to encourage you and to strengthen you. But what I want you to recognize is this. Fatherhood has everything to do with how I see my manhood. If I can't, I, it's difficult to get fatherhood right if I'm not getting manhood right. And so today's message is not just for dads, it's really for any man, and especially even for men who you say, hey, one day I hope to get married, one day I hope to have a family. My goal is to give you things so that you don't have to learn it the hard way. So at all, when we talk about fatherhood, you have to take a step back and go, well, how you define manhood will have everything to do with how you practice your fatherhood, because fatherhood flows from how you see yourself as a man. And so as we look at this, biblical manhood is the foundation of biblical fatherhood. So we're going to be looking at a number of scriptures, but here's what a challenge that we have when I talk about culture today. For many men today, this is made more difficult because they're trying to be something that they were never shown. Some guys today, they're like, hey, I'm trying to be a dad, but I never had a dad. My dad checked out early in my life, and so here I am. I'm just trying to be a dad, and I never had one, so I don't have any information to pull on. I don't have any example. I don't know what a dad looks like in day-to-day -day life. He wasn't there. He disappeared. And so now I'm trying to be something that I never had. It's awkward. Feel like sometimes I'm experimenting. Some other guys are in the category of saying, Hey, I'm trying to be a Christian dad. I had a dad, but he didn't espouse the values of the faith at all. And uh, I love my dad, but he's not exactly the example that I'm trying to be for my own kids. So again, I'm trying to I'm trying to be something, and it's a stretch, it's awkward. I'm not always sure that I'm doing it right. I hope I'm not experimenting and being wrong because I don't want to mess my kids up. I don't want to mess my family up. I don't know if my emotions are right. I don't know if my I don't know if the, some of the battles that I have are they normal battles or are they abnormal battles? So and what do I do? How do I handle? I never had a dad I could talk about this stuff. And so I kind of want to help you. And what, what I've done today is my message is quite a bit different. Usually I take a passage and we just break it down. But we're going to look at a variety of passages. And really what I did was I built a model for you dads today. And, and really I say this, it's not just for, for, for uh, dads, it's really for any man. I, I made a model to show you how to take all these various dynamics and be able to have a concept and go, okay, I can be confident I'm not dropping something. Because that's many times we have something coming at us. And if we don't have a model, we feel like we're scrambling. And you're like, well, you are. Because you don't have a way to systemize it. You don't have a way to attach it. And you can't see it. And this is what business owners do. They try to create a business model so that even their employees can understand the dynamics of what is going on internally and they can understand what their role is and how it affects people. 
a model. This is why you get instructions when you buy something on Amazon. Like a swing set that comes in 300 pieces. If you didn't have a model in the form of instructions, how many know that would be a problem? Oh, it would be a problem. Well, maybe I'm the only one. It's, a, it's an issue when you do have the instructions. I have had an altar call many times while I built a kid's swing set. Oh, God, forgive me. This thing is getting the best. Of, can I get a, any witness from dads here? Yeah. Reason this is so fresh in my brain. <clears throat> my wife has this very dynamic relationship with Amazon. And so, so I have an alert built in that when something happens on Amazon and it's coming to her house, I like to be alerted beforehand, like when she orders it, rather than it just showing up on the, on the porch, you know, so I have an alert system, and I got an alert this week that a swing set had been ordered. So I checked out the address. So a couple weeks, we're going to go out and see my son and daughter-in-law, my granddaughter, and she had ordered them a swing set, my granddaughter, to get a swing set. So I saw it, and I went, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. I said, I am not going to go to Springfield and backslide and have to get saved all over again. <laughs> so I went to her and I said, you tell him he is to have that thing put together before Papa G shows up <laughs> or we might have a delayed arrival because <laughs> I am not going out there to try to keep my salvation while I put a swing set together. Come on, dads, you all with me on that one? Yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. So where was I on the sermon? <laughs> a model, yeah, you need a model, right? So you, can, so you don't get frustrated and aggravated. You go, oh, that piece goes here, that piece goes here. So I want to talk a little bit about this from the aspect of manhood. And here's, here's the thing. I don't, I don't want to just talk about being biblical, okay? Because here's another dynamic, and... Um, I'm going to ask you guys to receive this comment in love. There may be some things that you do that may not be classified as a sin, but it can be dumb. And all the women said, yeah, yeah. So many times a guy will say, well, I have a peace in my heart. Well, that's, that's fine. It's still a dumb decision. Well, God, it's not in the Bible. It doesn't say it's a sin. You're right. It doesn't say it's a sin, but it's still a dumb decision. I wouldn't do that. So, you know, there's, there's this, this dynamic of sometimes we get so rigid that we miss what's being communicated on a whole. So let's begin to look at this. So as you look at this model that I have, you see that there's an arrow between manhood and God. And God is going to be what we call a lens, Okay. And so when a man looks at God, what does God say about me as a man? I don't need to be looking to culture to tell me what I need to be as a man. Because if you haven't discovered by now, that's a moving target. You go 15 years ago, manhood had one definition. You go back 30, it was another definition. You keep going back. Culture has a way of just keep moving the mark. What does God say 
that I am. And then the other part, you'll see the arrow is going both ways. How does man see God? How do I see him? Because he says he's my heavenly father. So there's this dynamic that goes both directions. And so you see there's a scripture associated with it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And I want to read that. And it says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. So that word image means to have a representative figure or likeness to God. It doesn't say we are God. It says we have a likeness, that we have a resemblance because we're made in his image. So like what part of us has that resemblance? Well, there's two things in God that he's passed on to us as men, and it's this. He's given us the ability to create. We can take something where there's nothing and put something, come up. We call it inventing. We have an idea, but there's nothing there, but I have an idea. And so I can formulate this idea, and we call it creating an invention. And then what? there was nothing there, but now there is something. It's, it's what the free enterprise system is built on. The ability for people to be entrepreneurs and invent. That creative power comes from God. But we also, as men, have the ability to create life. If we do it the way God wants, we have a wife inside the context of a marriage and the two come together. We have the ability to create life. There was nothing there, but now there's life. There's another human being. See, those are two things that God did. God took where there was something, where there was nothing, and he created. He invented the world. And then God said, there's no, there's no, there's no living creature. God says, I'll, give, I'll, I'll, I'll create one. I'll create a human being. And so those are two aspects that God gave to us as men. But then it goes on, the ability is even further than that. It's this ability to relate. It's not just to have something. It's the ability to relate to what we have. We see that God related to creation. We have the ability to relate to the world around us. It's pretty much 24-7. We're managing the world around us, right? But we also have the ability to relate to one another. It's interesting that God relates to the earth, he created it, he manages it, but then also God says, I also relate to the things that I put there, specifically human beings. God says, I have an attachment to what I created. And sometimes as men, we need to take a pause and go, you know, I never realized I have the same attributes in me that God has, and God says, I want you to have what I have. That's part of being created in his image. He gives us, now he didn't give us everything that he has because God wasn't trying to make us gods. But God said, let me give you a piece of who I am because you're going to live in the world that, that I created, then you need to have some of my qualities. So, but here's the thing, without the right values, how many know that power can lead to destruction? So I need his values. It's not enough that God has given me these abilities, given you as a man these abilities. Those things need to be guided by biblical principles or that kind of power put inside of a man can become very destructive. We've all seen that. We've seen people who have used their inventive power to be, to be destructive. We've seen people who have, who have not taken responsibility for the children that they brought into the world and throw them to the curb. And by the way, if you're a dad here who does not have his children at home, they're with another parent today, they're living in a separate household, you need to take responsibility for helping take care of those kids and stop complaining about child support. 
That's one of the things that's different about us. In fact, I would tell you this. You might want to add a little extra. Doing what the court ordered you to do is not exactly always called love. Love always exceeds. Yeah, that went well today. <laughs> and the ability, and, and, and again, the ability to, we know people who relate to the world horribly, they destroy the world, they abuse it, they poison the systems inside, the streams and the, and the, and, and the farm, they poison things with, with their inventions, and they don't relate to people, they think people are capital to be used to give them something. So that power without the right kind of value system can become destructive. And we have examples of that inside of our culture. So we come back then to this. We look at God. So now that we know how God sees us and he wants us to know that we're created in his image as men, how does he want us to see him? Well, you go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. It says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. For God, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Notice it doesn't say most of mankind. It doesn't say some of mankind. It says what? All mankind. So we see this reciprocal. God says, I'm going to give you a piece of who I am, but that you also have to take my word to guide what I've given to you, or you become destructive. So you need to follow my commands. So then we begin to look at this. We begin to look at our, the outputs of our life. Because if you're a father, you're more than a father. You have all kinds of roles that contribute to who you are. And so using that lens of if I'm, a, if I'm a man and I'm looking at God, how does God want me to see the world? Because there's so many things that we all have to juggle as men. So we're going to look at a couple of those. So here we go. The first thing you notice is this. I need God to shape me as a man so that I have the view of women that he does. Well, that was pretty weak on the amens there. You go from culture to culture, everybody has an opinion about how the women in that society ought to be viewed and ought to be treated. You go all over the world, sometimes women have rights, sometimes women don't have rights, and sometimes they're the matriarchs in some of their tribal systems, and sometimes they're not. You come to our country, we've been through a, a huge pendulum shift, and if we're not careful, we're more familiar with the cultural swings than we are the biblical mandates. So what does the Bible say? You go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So the first thing we notice is this. The same image that God put in me is in her. That automatically means co-equal. Automatic. It's there. Now... I know culturally speaking and even historically as, as, as a church in the faith, we've all struggled with getting it to where it is today. But just because something's hard doesn't mean we get to dismiss it. It means we work through it. We push to get it there. We make it happen. And so we see that the reason as a man that you treat a woman co-equal is because you recognize the same activity of God that is in you is in her. Certainly that deserves respect. Certainly that deserves a platform to serve alongside uh, other men. 
And then you come to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, or 18 and 20. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Verse 20, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. I could have broke this down into Hebrew, and I needed about a 10 to 12 minute segment to do this, and I, I just said, that's eating up too much of the message, so I'm just going to tell you. Let me tell you what the word help means. You're in over your head, and you don't know it. Help means there is something that she can do that you can't do. Help means she can do things that are better than what you can do. I'm waiting for the women to say, you know, amen. Hey, man, the women in 830, they were loud and awake and ready to go. Boy, they were stoked. Yeah, now I heard preach it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Helper means this, you are better coordinating your activity with her, with her than not because you get more done. So she's being a help. Why? How can she be a help? Because the activity of God that is in you is in her. So you're amplifying the activity of God together. That's not competition. That's just common sense. But so many people get competitive. So many people start keeping score. What's well, been your way the last three times? It's my turn. I thought we were supposed to do what's best. If you would have told me on a rotation basis, I would have skipped all the negotiation. I would have just looked at the card and go, oh, your turn. I thought the whole idea was to get the best outcome, regardless of whoever came up with the idea. Because if it's the best idea and we do it, we win. I didn't know this was about taking turns. We get competitive with one another. God says, no, I've put you there. Listen, so I'm speaking to women as well. I've put you there to be a help. There are things that you see that he does it. There are things that you know that he does it. There are things that you can do that he can't do. But it's only as good as the team coordination. Otherwise, it's a breakdown. And the very thing that should be propelling the relationship forward causes division. So our view of women is this, she's co-equal. Secondly, she knows things, can do things, and I'm 10 times better if I coordinate my efforts with her. I'm way better off. So why not? It's what's best for the kingdom, it's what's best for me, it's what's best for her. It's, it's a win-win. Isn't that what we're after? And everybody said, hey? The second thing that our, a man looking through the lens of God looks at is others. How we treat other people. Our respect. Our view. People who are different than us. People who, who do things differently. See things differently. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. So in everything, do to others, do unto others before they do it unto you. Oh no, that's not what they said. That was the New American Standard Version. <laughs> How many know that is the American version? <laughs> do unto them before they do it unto you, boy. That's what I always say. You know, well, no. Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So right there we see how we treat other people is a reflection of understanding that, listen, they're made in the image of God too. 
I'm honoring the activity of God in them just as much as I say that I want people to honor the activity of God in my life. And then it comes to this, Proverbs 3.20. There's a lot of verses I could have chosen. I'm just trying to show you the picture here. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is your power to act. When somebody does you a good job, is it that hard to say thank you? That was awesome? Is it, is it that hard that when you have employees that have increased the bottom line of your business, that you share a little bit of that with them? Some of you say, stop meddling my business. Just stick. I'm saying, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is your power to act. You're the owner, man. You hired that person to grow your business. They grew your business. Is it that hard that you can't share a little of it with them? Shouldn't you? When you have a direct line as to why that bottom line improved and you know the people who are responsible, I understand you can't give them all, but you can give them something. Don't with, see, it shows that you honor the activity of God that is in their life and what they've brought to bear with you. Is it that hard that when somebody really has been good for you, that you have the ability to write them a good review? And you, and you are sincere about it? Or you have the ability to give them a good tip because maybe they went way out of their way to take care of you? Is it that hard for us to be able to say, not just average tip, I'm going to give you a stellar tip? But here's the other part of that. We need to show our children the same thing. We need to get them to participate in how we show value to other people. It's good that we say, hey, we're going to sit in the car. I want you to watch me because that person was phenomenal and I'm going to put a review up. I'm going to send an email to the boss of this business establishment. I want that business owner to know they have a stellar employee. Do you agree? Yeah, Dad, I agree. All right, let's do it together. Show them how to do it. So many kids only know how to weaponize social media. They do not know how to use it for good. It's an ability to be able to communicate to people how great people that you just came into contact. When you, when, if you think it was a stellar job and you're writing out the tip, don't say, hey, this is none of your business. This is what dad takes care of. No, I think you ought to show them what you're doing. You say, well, I don't. Th-. See, some of you are so cheap. <laughs> you don't want your kids to see what you're doing. No, you, you, no seriously. You, see, You need to show them that it's not just words. Son, daughter, you just experienced stellar service. We could have gotten anybody else in this establishment to take care of us today. And they probably would have done okay, and it would have been good. But you just encountered stellar. And we want to reward stellar. Because when you enter the workforce yourself, I want you to see what you need to shoot for. That person's example that we just had taking care of us today. That's what you shoot for. And I'm not going to tell you that everybody's going to be appreciative, but you will have enough people who will be appreciative. And you'll get addicted to doing a stellar job. See, the ability, they, they need to see you treating others well. Not just watch your dad go in there and put him in their place. And then that kid thinks that's how you get things done in life, is you go in and you bully people. That's not manhood. All right, 
I can always tell when it's time to move on. The third part of this is our work ethic. I've talked about this so many times, but our jobs, our ability to communicate how God supplies for a household is through work, not through not not being a trust fund child, and that you probably won't be giving them a trust fund. All right, mom and dad. Oh, you are. You know, you, I've always thought of you as family. brother, sister. I can be related to anybody. <laughs> no, it's just, hey, do you know why we have what we have? God provide, listen, God provided me an opportunity to have this job, and I work that job to the best of my ability, and they reward me. They bless me. They pay me. And as a result of that, that's why you have what you see around us. This was not gifted to us. This wasn't just handed off. This is something that we set out to do. And if you sustain a work ethic over a long period of time, this is how you get what we have. They all think they got to win the lottery. They need to understand that God uses work to provide. When you don't work, you probably aren't getting much provision. Oh, God, provide. God says, work. I rebuke that. I rebuke that thought. You know, we all, we all want to be blessed, but we don't want to work for it. No, we work for it. And here's what it, here's what it says in the Bible. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work. You know, that's before the fall of man. That was paradise. How many are really looking forward to heaven now? <laughs> are you kidding me? I got to go to work. Hey, floating on a cloud, playing your harp isn't going to be very fulfilling for very long. If you haven't read Revelation, it says there's a big city. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming we all have roles and play. And it tells us that the New Jerusalem's even being built now. So we have to understand our role here is, hey, God, the, the sin made work hard. But work was a part of paradise. Yeah. So, we're, work, so work is one of the ways we worship God. So you don't tell your kids, yeah, I got to go to work. Another six months, another year, another 10 years, another 15, I can talk. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're not going to work. That's what people who aren't followers of Christ do. They go to work. You are going to worship. That's how Adam and Eve worshiped God. They didn't have a tabernacle. They didn't have music. It says that they would work the garden in the cool of the day, which is the end of the day. God would come down and talk with them. So it tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. So they would work and God would show up as a reward for them working his garden. That was their worship. You take on that attitude, you'll have a whole different work ethic. Because you understand that your work quality has the ability to say, when you start doing stuff that people go, you're not, why are you doing that? You're not, they're not paying you to do that. Why, who cares? Leave it go. It's perfect enough. Just let it go. Let's go. What do you, and you, why do you do that? Uh, my work is worship. Now, I promise you, there's a follow-up conversation to that. <laughs> See, welcome 
to how we take care of people through our work. And it's a form of worship. Which means, if that's the case, nobody ever has to worry about doing business with me. In fact, they'll want me. They'll prefer me. Because they'll say, that guy always does more than what's expected. Always. Always does more. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. Some of you are going to be surprised to read. read uh, so how about you read this with me? Ready? Here we go. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. Let's pause. Wow. I'll wait for the yippy skippy moments to pass here. Here we go. Let's finish. This too I see is from the hand of God, for without him who can eat or find enjoyment. God says, I gave you a job to be happy. Why are you so angry? Why are you so bitter? Why are you so frustrated? God says there's nothing better that I could do for you than to give you toil and you have satisfaction from it. And you whine about it all day. You are missing God's blessing. Maybe God doesn't need to change your job. Maybe you need to change the attitude with which you do your job. Okay, move on, Pastor Greg. That's a quiet moment there. The fourth thing we read that God helps a man to see is how, God, how he sees creation. And it tells us in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. Notice the separation of work it and take care of it. The word take care of means to preserve. It means to keep the quality of. So man had a responsibility to make sure that God's creation wasn't abused. Now, I'm not talking about let's go out and have a personal relationship and hug trees. My point was, God said, I expect you to take care of creation. You are, you are to work it and you can use it, but be mindful that it's not just your world. You have to hand that world off to another generation and other generations. And we live in a time where this generation is sweeping up some of the messes of other generations because they decided not to take care of creation and they poisoned systems and that ended up with people being poisoned themselves. We have people in this congregation, it would be wrong of me to tell you their story, but we have people in this congregation who have serious health crises and their family have, and, their, and, the, and the genetics were altered because they lived in an area where toxic dump sites happened, but nobody told them, and so they ended up being raised in these toxic sites, and so now there's all kinds of health fallouts. And it's not just them, now it's their children. All because somebody said, my desire to make a buck is more important than taking care of creation, and if you are affected by that, that's your fault. I made my buck. We don't make messes for other people to clean up. We think through 
How am I being responsible? Because this is not my world alone. This belongs to other people. It has belonged to people before me. It belongs to the people beside me and around me today. And I will be handing this world off to other people after me. So we live responsible lives. Does everybody understand the balance of what I'm saying here? Okay. God gave us the resources to use them. So I'm not saying we can't use the resources. We just have to be mindful about how we're using it so that we don't destroy other generations with what we do. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the who? Oh. It's still his garden. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If you don't believe that you don't really own any, if, you, if I told you that you really don't own anything, you say, yes, I do. Die and watch what happens. <laughs> in less than 24 hours, it will go to people who will spend it in ways that would just make you roll over. <laughs> hey, the government will even swing back in and get another layer of taxes on you. I mean, you can't even die and get away from taxes. Okay? The earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Listen, I'm taking care of his stuff. That's why I take care of the world around me. I'm managing his stuff. It's not mine. He has given me legal custody of things so that I can have influence and authority to make sure it's done right but the point being is it's not really mine it's his then i want to be a person who manages the world around me in a right way in a blessed way without handing it off as a headache to somebody else i got what i want too bad for you the last piece that we're going to look at is children now we're, now we're getting into the realm of fatherhood. What is, why, why did I save it towards here? Because all these dynamics that I've shared influence children. Because if, if children hear you criticizing behind closed doors these other elements, when, when you were in the presence of other people or other women or your job, and you said, wow, that's really awesome. And then you got behind closed doors. And you go, man, this is the most disgusting thing in the world. I can't stand those people. And your kid's sitting there going, wow, you to their face, you said they were awesome. Get out of sight here. And now you're telling me how awful and terrible. They now use how you have related to the world to interpret what you say to them. You say, you're an awesome son. You're an awesome daughter. And in their head is, so what do you say about me when the doors are closed? Because I've watched how you do it to other people. I heard you use the same words on me, Dad. Do you trash me when I'm out of earshot the way you trash everybody else? Do you trash my work? Well, that was a great job, son. That was a great job, daughter. And then, do you trash me when you leave my presence? Because I've watched you do that with other people. You tell them good job, and then out of earshot, you trash them. See, a kid gets confused. Because you, the same words that you use on them, you use on other people. 
and they just want to know. So that's why I say one of the best things to do is we got to start seeing the world through God's lens. I need, I need to be the man that he says I need to be. I didn't say everybody around us is perfect, but you know what? I've never watched anybody do better in life because they got trashed. People do better when they got somebody who's cheerleading them. I can tell that went well. So God said, bless them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So from the get-go, God says, I like kids. I like children. I want you to have some. When we were building this, this building, we started seven years ago. We moved in it after a year of construction. We had a series of prayer points. We had a couple kids in the nursery. But one of, one of the prayer points that we would pray, we had a sheet that we handed out. And we asked people to pray over it. One of the prayer points was this. God, fill our new nursery with the sounds of crying children. That means we were reaching young families. We don't know if they, you know, fill that nursery with kids who want another bottle. And they're screaming, I want another bottle. <laughs> fill that nursery with kids who need their diaper changed. And all they know to do is cry until somebody changes their diaper. And then God, fill that nursery with kids who are crying and nobody in the, is clueless. They're, they have no idea, why is this kid crying? <laughs> Music to the ears. Why? We love kids because God loves kids. Why does God love kids? You've got to go all the way to Corinthians. And I shared a little bit about this during our series on the Holy Spirit. And it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, here's, here's looking through God's lens. We talked about how God's presence used to be in a tabernacle that was portable and then it became a permanent site, the temple, so God moves his presence there. Temple was destroyed and God says now we are his temples, our bodies. And so what you, as a, here's what's different about us in the faith and how we see children. When you have a child, you're telling God Here's another temple for your spirit. And what's beautiful is this, is your temple is now in a state of repair because you're older. Some of you just got a cold, hard truth told to you. And you're saying... Here's a young temple that will outlast this older temple. So you've guaranteed that God's Spirit has a temple for the next generation. You see, that's why we dedicate kids. We're saying, please God, inhabit this child's life. I'm not just bringing you a son, a daughter. I'm bringing you a temple for your spirit. Yeah. There's a lot of us in this room who our temples will disappear a lot sooner than some of these younger temples. But that's why I'm so glad to have the younger temples. 
because there was a day when we were the younger temples. And that's why we're here today, because we've continued to carry God's presence with us. But now it's time to get another generation and say, you know what? You need to be carrying his presence in your life. And we, that's why when we have families who have children, we celebrate. We're excited. Why? More temples. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. So I'm going to ask the musicians to make their way, and I'm going to ask everybody to stand as we close out the service today. And we're going to wrap this up a little bit different here, but just as you stand to your feet, I'm going to ask you right now just to bow your heads and close your eyes. Because one of the first things that I want to offer this morning is this, an opportunity for people to accept Jesus. You see, I gave you this model, and it all begins with, Am I looking at the world through God's eyes, through his word, through his principles? Am I doing that? Because if I can't get who I am right, it's going to be really hard and awkward to get the rest of it right. And you say, then I'm ready to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It's not my intent to do this in a way that embarrasses you or puts any unwanted attention. But whether it be a man or a woman, a child, a teen, it doesn't matter. This is open to everybody. You'd say, today, Pastor, I'm ready to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. As you close out in prayer, I'll be doing that. I'll be asking Jesus into my life. And if that's you, can I see your hand this morning? And you're just telling me with that hand, I'm going to be asking Christ into my life. Am I missing anybody? All right. Then I'm going to ask everybody to look up here. I said we we're going to close the service a little bit differently. And this is mainly to the guys. And so this is really for all the guys, whether you're dad or not. I'm including you because one of the things is this. You need to start learning what it means to be a man and one day possibly be a father. you got to start by doing some of the things that lay the foundation. Amen? So I want to show you something from the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. Most people are surprised that this is even in the Bible. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. So when they started this, there was a couple hundred thousand guys that would show up. That was impressive. But well into the Old Testament later on, we know that it exceeded over a million guys. Can you imagine a million guys showing up three times a year? Simply to worship God and to bless their nation. It's one of those things that we sometimes miss. When we read the Old Testament, it says the men were gathering. It was usually one of these three events. Man, that had to be impressive. And what I want you to understand is, why did God do that? Because he said, I'm giving you the power to elevate the people around you. As a man, I'm giving you the power to elevate them. Do it. Now, how many know every service I close out the service with a blessing? Well, some of you didn't know that. Here's what's different. I want you to say it with me today, the guys. I want you 
to bless the people of this church. I want you to bless your family. I want you to bless the other guy's family. I want you, if you're a single guy today, to get in the habit of understanding the power that God has given you to speak a blessing over other people in your life. So here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to ask all the guys to go to that wall or down across the front. Just, just go to the closest. And we're going to extend our hand toward the middle. Okay? Praying. And I have the prayer up on the slides for you. So every guy just find a wall. Find a, Hey, don't leave me hanging down front by myself. Okay, guys? All right. Don't do that. Don't do that to me. And we're going to say the blessing. And then we're going to dismiss these these guys saying the blessing is our dismissal. The other part is this. Would you look how many guys are in this church? This is awesome. So guys, I want you right now, wherever you're standing, I want you to extend a hand towards the middle. And we've got it up on all the screens so that you can find one that works for you in some location. All right? And listen. Say it with a little robust today, okay? Not, you know, say it out loud together with me as we read it and mean it from your heart. Come on, let's do it. I bless you in the name of the Lord. May he bless you in this city and in this county. May the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, and all your livestock be blessed. May he bless the work of your hands at home, at work, at church, and in this community. May he bless your coming and your going. May the Lord grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated. When they come at you in one direction, may they flee from you in seven directions. May the Lord send a blessing on everything you put your hand to do. May he continue to establish you as his holy people. May all people see that you are called by the name of the Lord. May the Lord grant you prosperity, opening up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. May he bless the work of your hands. Now, come on, guys. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great day. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power.